Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Book Cheat, the book club podcast where I've read the book so you don't have to. My name is Dave Warnicke and on each episode of this show we look at one of the classics. And joining me to look at such a classic this week, it's Michelle Brazier and Alexi Toliopoulos. Hello. Hello. Oh, that was so low and cool. Yeah, I'm trying a new thing out. I wanted to make my vibe low and cool, so I think I'm going to speak in this register from henceforwards. Whoa, can I have a go? (laughs) Of course, you can be low and cool alongside me. Okay, um, hello Dave, hi, hi Alexi, how are you guys? Whoa, that's low and cool. Do I sound cool? I think I, you sound low as hell, dude. Yeah, I'm being like <laughs> low as hell. It's as if I was um, on Triple J. Whoa, okay. Yeah. We're on the J's. Yeah, that was the greats and I am Michelle. <laughs> That's what they say. The greats, love it. It's my impression of Michael Hing. <laughs> yeah, spot on, mate. Spot on impression. <laughs> Got him. Well, if you guys are going to go low and cool, how about I go high and uncool, which wow. I feel like I've, been, I've been doing for quite a while. When Hell they yeah. go low, we go high. It's a beautiful <laughs> saying. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the Book Club podcast where I've read the book so you don't have to. I have been reading a book lately. Right. And um, yeah, I know. This is just my way of bragging about the fact that I know how to read and it's going well. Don't you know that pride is one of the seven deadly sins and you, sir, are a sinner. You're exhibiting your pride in reading. Guilty as charged. And when it comes to books, I'm gluttonous because this is episode 90-something. I've been taking too many <gasps> too many sins. Leave You're going straight to hell, mate. For yeah. the rest of us, goodness <laughs> sake. Now this week, I haven't told either of you what the, what the book is actually, so this is going to be a bit of a, a reveal. Whoa! Yeah. We re- and we're recording this one live vo- via satellite, so I'm going to hold this up to the screen so you can see that oh, I've been reading. You're about this to get week. a teen's reaction to this. The teens wow. are about to react. <laughs> Here we go. I've been reading Dashiell Hammett's The Maltese Falcon. Ah, oh, famous. Ooh, famous. Ooh. It's a famous book. Mm-hmm. You both heard of this one? Have you um, either read the book, seen the movie? I have seen it. Read the book, and I have seen the movie. <laughs> wow! Oh my God. Well, to be honest, that actually makes you more qualified than me because I have read the book, but I have not seen the movie. So you've done more than me this time. Wow! But I did not do it in preparation. I've not. Uh, I read the book back in high school. And it was by choice. No one forced my hand. Okay. It was I used my 
own independence at this point, my agency uh, to read the book <laughs> by my choice. And uh, I remember being very fond of it. And the movie is fantastic. Movie off the top of my head, directed by John Huston. Correct. Uh, and it stars Humphrey Bogart as Gumshoe Sam Spade. Wow. Oh gosh, that's good. And honestly, that makes me want to see the movie, just hearing you say that. Yeah. Even though I knew all that. But, but Alexa describing know. any movies like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I want to watch that movie. Yeah, <laughs> I've got a real problem. I've been listening to a lot of your, your podcast, Lex, and like I just keep at the end of the episode episodes writing down what you've been talking about be like i've got to see that i've got to see that and now like i've probably got a lifetime worth of movies just from like the last 10 episodes (laughs) (laughs) well i'm glad i can set you up for retirement you know one day you'll get there you'll get a chance to watch all of these movies but i would start with the maltese falcon because it's a real classic of film noir which is an area of film i'm extremely excited about i think is worthy of celebration And is, is that the reason you read the book in, in schools? Because you'd seen the movie and you were like, I want to find out what this is all about? Or did you go book first? You know what? I would admit it. I'm old. My memory of my youth has lapsed into, <laughs> you know, some murky areas. I cannot tell you what I did first. Uh, all I know is that they were in tandem with each other. They were complementary. I'm looking back. I'm thinking. I'm trying to access my thoughts. And I think my cousin owned the book. Maybe she had studied in high school. And perhaps I had seen the movie and I saw, holy shit, that's the Maltese Falcon. Uh, uh, can I borrow this? Can I read this? And that's how I read it. And I think I have never returned that book to my cousin. This was <laughs> oh, no. probably 15 years ago or something now. And I still <laughs> have the book. It's come with me to every time I've moved house. I still have it on my shelf. Um, she's been over many times at all of my apartments. And I don't think she's ever clocked that I still have this book from her for 15 years. <laughs> she's, she's never wow. mentioned it. Never brought it up. Not even one time. She had no idea that I'm a thief and I'm <laughs> holding it in front of her like some kind of sadist. Wow. Hidden in plain sight. I'm so glad that you're being honest with us, though, about your crimes. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the <laughs> statute of limitations has lapsed. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scot-free. I can admit to my crimes. <laughs> now, people suggest I do these books, and I'd like to say thank you to Peter Kintzler from Wilmington in North Carolina and Peter Wyborn from Narrabeen. And I always ask, uh, they fill out a form, and they say, why should I do the book? And Peter wrote, The description, red herrings abound, has captured my curiosity. Only the cool, calm recount by Dave could possibly untangle this twisted tale. Please, if you don't mind, that is. Wow. And I do not mind. Thank you, Peter. That's so polite. I know, so lovely. That's so nice. And do you think that Peter's all around the world are obsessed with this book? Why do you think (laughs) Peter's love it? Is there a character called Peter in it? I, there's no Peter in this, and one's a P-E-T-E-R and one's a P-E-T-A, so we're covering all Peter bases wow. with this book. We're fully Holy across the Peter shit. spectrum. Yeah. The Peters love this. Oh, wow. my God. It Can't may as well it. be Peter Parker because we're going across the freaking <laughs> multiverse with this shit. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'll give you a little little background on the author and, and the book. So The Maltese Falcon is a 1930 detective novel by American writer Dashiell Hammett. Hammett was born in Maryland in 1894 and has been credited as creating the hard-boiled school of detective fiction. That is a tough, unsentimental style of American crime writing that brought a new tone of earthy realism 
or naturalism to the field of detective fiction. Hardboiled fiction uses graphic sex and violence, vivid but often sordid urban backgrounds, and fast-paced, slangy dialogue. Ooh. Slangy. Yeah, and some of the slang now seems a bit, is you know, 90 years later is a bit funny. Do they <laughs> say things like toots? Yeah. And a dame? Yeah, there's a couple of dames and in this chicky book. babe? Do they describe women as chicky babe <laughs> yeah, as well? Say, yeah, hey, chicky babe. <laughs> Sup? Stuff like that. <laughs> hey, chick. Yeah. Wow, you're speaking like a real 1930s hard-boiled man here. Yeah, that's what they say. Hey, chicky babe. <laughs> so his first novel was called Red Harvest, followed by The Dane Curse, The Maltese Falcon, The Glass Key, and finally The Thin Man. And I can list them all because he wrote the five novels over five years and then didn't publish any more after the age of 40. It was done after that. Wow. But despite his relatively short output, Hammett's innovations were incorporated in the hard-boiled melodramas of James M. Cain and Raymond Chandler, and mm-hmm. his work had a significant influence on films, including the genres of private eye, detective fiction, mystery thrillers, and as Lexi already said, film noir. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. And The Thin Man, the other Dashiell Hammett novel, has also been adapted into a very well-respected franchise of uh, oh, mystery you, movies, yeah. yeah. And what year is it? I don't know if I'm familiar off the top of my head. What They're year from is the it? 1930s as well, oh, 1930s. Very cool. Very and cool. his own life was turned into a film by Wim Wenders, produced by Francis Ford Coppola, called Hammett, which is a very poorly received film, one of the few <laughs> poorly re- received films from director Wim Wenders. Ah, oh, bummer. Yeah, so brutal. They're all winners, mate. Not all winners. But <laughs> even when you talk about a film being badly received, I still want to see it now, you know? Like, you just got away. Yeah. You've got away, my friend. That's my curse. I can yeah. lead you astray. <laughs> yeah. There's a movie that you didn't like, Alexi, that I loved. What was that? Fast X. Yeah, it was a bummer. I didn't love it. I've liked yeah. every single other one, but it bummed And that's me why out, I thought, movie. I really thought, because you liked every single one, I was like, we're on sa- the same boat. Mm-hmm. We know it's a telenovela. We know it's a musical for boys. We're there. And then you didn't like <laughs> Fast X, and I loved Fast Damn. X. I thought it was the biggest, the most camp, the most dramatic, wow. the most silly. And that's why I loved it. Is if it the I fastest? could swap souls with you, I would do it now. It would I give know. me a beautiful joy to have loved that movie. <laughs> I love but... most things. Yeah, me too. That's another one of my curses. <laughs> I find it hard to harbour negative emotions. <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, somehow you feel those emotions for Fast X. Yeah, yep, yep. It pains me to do so. Every <laughs> day of my life is torture to have that in my system. I think you should watch it with me. Okay. I think I we should watch that. it together and see how we go. That's probably what I, I need. That's what I need. Yeah, yeah. You need, yeah. We'll fix, we'll sort you out. I've got the cure. <laughs> Mama's got the cure. <laughs> Please I unburden personally... me. Please unburden me. <laughs> <laughs> I personally don't watch any Fast and Furious movies. I just hear Michelle Brazier tell me about them on the Do Go On podcast. And Which I is appreciate fun too. That's fun. I appreciate the recaps. <laughs> That's it. So, many regard Dashiell Hammett's masterpiece to be the Maltese Falcon, the book we're talking about today. The story is told entirely in external third-person narrative. There's no description whatsoever of any character's thoughts or feelings, only what they say and do and how they look. So the rest is up to you. That sounds like a boy thing. That sounds like a boy book. (laughs) Yeah. Cut all this crap. Cut all the crap. Cut all this introspection. 
I don't care how they feel. I, I care what they the say. I walked down the street. I went to the shops. It was fine. Stop <laughs> asking questions. <laughs> and it's been adapted for film four times. The most famous, we've already talked about. The third version came out in 1941 from John Huston starring Humphrey Bogart and Mary Astor. Considered by some to be one of the greatest films of all time. Did you know this, Lexi? It was one of the first 25 films selected by the Library of Congress to be included in the National Film Registry for being culturally, historically or aesthetically significant. I think oh. I did know that because it is a very culturally significant film, very famous, very deeply beloved, big part of film noir history. Uh, and I believe it even just recently they did like a beautiful new restoration of it in 4K. So if you've never seen it, it's the perfect time to jump on board the Maltese Falcon. <laughs> I'm gonna, honestly, I'm going to do it. I'm going to track down the 4K version after this. Okay, let's get into the book. Now, we always open with the, the opening line or the opening paragraph to give you a little feel for how, how it sounds on the page. And this is how it starts. It says, Samuel Spade's jaw was long and bony, his chin a jutting V under the more flexible V of his mouth, his nostrils curved back to make another small V. Lots of V's going Holy on. Holy shit. Va va boom. <laughs> a lot of V's going on. It's kind of um, you know, it's a unremarkable opening to just be like, hey, here's the face you have to remember for the next four hundred pages. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not going down on, you know, like a BuzzFeed list of t- top twenty novel opening lines, is it? But a lot of a lot of V's. Three V's in the opening two sentences. Honestly, that's fucked up. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> I hate the Maltese Falcon. Oh, no, oh we got, got the a lot first to go. review in. I, I, not enough. Too many Vs. <laughs> like I'm just imagining like someone's face just being a big V is what I'm imagining now. Yeah, I. Do you know what? I sort of stopped. You got to the second V, and I just kind of zoned out. I was like, nah. <laughs> too many Vs. But how many you're Vs. thinking? How, how does he feel? I'm thinking, how does he feel? How? What's his relationship like with his dad? That's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. We're getting none of that. We're getting all V's. Does he like dogs or cats? <laughs> I'm here imagining this guy look like a freaking the sharpest head you've ever seen. Four <laughs> points. Come on. Gonna, get to oh find I want to know what's going on in Sam's head. Yeah, you're going to cut oh, yourself yeah. on that face. We're hearing all about the exterior of the head. Let's go inside and explore. Yeah. <laughs> Let me in. Let me in. Well, I, I had trouble imagining with the V's, but it does go on to say, he looked rather pleasantly like a blonde Satan. Okay, that's helpful, actually. Gorgeous. You getting a bit of that? Yeah. Yeah, Satan's hot. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yes, yeah, Satan's daddy. my hall pass, mate. I got a hall yes. pass with Satan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but we're off there. We've just met our main character, Sam Spade, a private detective in San Francisco. He's a real no Fs given, no Vs given, hard drinking, heavy smoking, 1920s man, quite gruff and rough around the edges. He's got quite a temper, but he's a very good detective and he gets results, God damn it! He sounds but so he does. annoying. Yeah, yeah, I don't think you're going to like him, Michelle. <laughs> he <laughs> sounds like feeling. a sook who needs a therapist. <laughs> well, what if I give you an alternate uh, exciting description of the start? What if you open the yeah. book? And it says, meet Sam Spade. He looks exactly like Humphrey Bogart, the biggest hunk of the 1930s and 40s. Ooh, mummy. (laughs) There we go. Ooh, mummy, a savory flavor we're feeling. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's impossible to to hate a man whose nickname was Bogey. Mm -hmm. Love that so much. Bogey. My dog's called Humphrey. 
Really? His middle, na- his middle name is Bogart. Oh my gosh. There you go. I mean, Humphrey Bogart is so cool that Smoking Joints was named after him. <laughs> That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's You're like, cool. oh yeah, pass that bogey or don't Bogart that joint. <laughs> and that's because Humphrey Bogart used to just have a cigarette dangling from his lips. It would not be like, have it would not be, he would just have it like so it's stuck with the spit almost. Yeah. So it just like hangs off his lip. Like I think was, that's, that's cool. can, I, can I ask, do you think that's sexy? I think I think it did look sexy. But mm. I think if I, if I met like if I walked down the street and I saw a boy in like Fitzroy doing that, I'd be like, "Go grow up!" <laughs> Someone who looks like they've got a bit of like double sided tape on their lip with a yeah. secret attached yeah. to it. Yeah, so is that a prosthetic? What's that? Sort it out. Put some lip balm on, sir. <laughs> but in the time at the time, I would have thought it was sexy, and I think the pictures yeah. look sexy. <laughs> but we didn't know about the cancer risk at the time. <laughs> So we've met our V-man. We've met Sam Spade. He's, uh, he shares his detective agency with his partner, Miles Archer, whom Spade doesn't think much of. He does respect their young secretary, though, described as lanky and boyish. Her name is Effie. We like Effie. She's a, a bit of a, a voice of reason. In the She's book. Greek. Effie. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I would be great if a description was like, she's got huge hair. <laughs> She's got a huge hair and a Melbourne accent. <laughs> it's Effie. So Effie comes in one day and announces that a woman is there to see Spade. The lady walks in. She's described as being very beautiful and her name is Miss Wonderly. Okay. okay. Yeah, interesting name. A little weird. Yeah, you know, oh, that seems like a weird name. Okay. Miss Wonderly explains in a very convoluted way that her sister Corinne has run away to San Francisco with a dodgy man named Floyd Thursby. Their parents are due home from Europe in a couple of weeks and not knowing who to turn to, she hopes that P.I. Sam Spade can help her find her sister before the parents get back and it all gets really awkward. Okay. This sounds like a teenager story if you're worrying about your parents. It sounds like an episode of Veronica Mars. (laughs) (laughs) And she explains that she's meeting... Floyd Thursby tonight, and Sam Spade says, what he'll do is get one of his detectives to stake out their meeting and follow Floyd Thursby back to where Corinne is, and then they'll try and convince Corinne to leave, or if, nef- if necessary, make Floyd leave her alone, intimidating a bit. Yeah, okay, yeah, bash him. Mm, yeah. Smash and, that guy. And they, he implies a bit of violence, which upsets Miss Wonderly. She thinks uh, Floyd would not have second thoughts about killing Corinne. He's a violent man. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. I'm starting to hate this Thursby. Yeah. Thursby's no good. Thursby's no good. Speaking of no good men, uh, Sam Spade's partner, Miles Archer, comes in and is introduced to Miss Weatherly. And when she's not looking, uh, quote, he gives a silent whistling mouth of appreciation. Mm, Yuck. uh, To Sam, who tells him to... Shut up with a hand signal, which also could be a V. We don't know. Wow. Probably a V. Or shut yeah. Get stuffed, mate. Get stuffed. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> so he's a bit of a wanker. Miss Wonderly asks if Sam or his partner Miles will take care of the job themselves and produces a cool $200 cash, which at the time is quite a lot of money, and Miles quickly takes the money and volunteers. Mm-hmm. And when she leaves, Sam, who is clearly a little bit sus, asks Miles what he thinks of Miss Wonderly, and the sleazy Miles says, maybe you saw her first, Sam, but I spoke first. Oh, so he's calling dibs. 
Yeah, but Sam's a bit like, I meant like, what do you think of like her story? It sounded a bit sus. Mm. But Miles goes straight to, what do you think of her? So that's what he's like. Well, he's like, unfortunately in this book, I cannot tell you my interior thoughts. All I can do is describe her. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think? I spoke to her out loud. (laughs) Well, that night, Sam Spade gets a call to say that his partner, Miles Teller, has been murdered. Wait, Miles Teller from Whiplash... Oh, did I say? Yeah. (laughs) I've written Miles Teller. I meant Miles Archer. I was thinking of Miles Teller. Oh, my God. I was like, holy shit, they cast the guy from Top Gun Maverick in this thing? No, that has nothing to do with this. Sam gets a call about a Hollywood actor being murdered. Anyway, don't worry about that. In 90 years, someone will be killed. (laughs) No, I'm happy to report that after a quick Google, Miles Teller is at home and doing well. (laughs) Thank goodness. Thank goodness. His partner, Miles Archer, has been murdered, shot and killed in an alleyway. Remember, he was going to go stake out Thursby, this Floyd guy, and now he's he's been killed. Mm. Great. I wasn't liking this character. I'm glad he's dead. Yeah. yeah. I was sort of... I was happy. I was like, whatever, man. Whatever. Whatever, man. And I'm kind of not the only one who feels that way because Sam goes down to the crime scene and meets Sergeant Tom Polhouse who he tells that Miles was staking out Floyd Thursby and the police officer shows him an English revolver used to shoot his partner. Floyd is European, so that sort of checks out that Floyd was the killer. Okay. But Sam, Sam Spade seems pretty emotionally detached from it all and tells Sergeant Polhouse that he's got to give the sad news to his partner, Miles' wife. Her name is Eva. But really... My dog's name is Eva. Yes! Your dog's in this, my dog's in this. It's all happening. All the and dogs. I don't like animals, so there will be no representation of my life and world appearing in this book. But there is an there is an Effie. Yeah, there's, there's an Effie. There's an Effie. Yes. And Malta, the home of the Maltese Falcon, not that far from my homeland. I've actually got an, uh, a second Greek character coming up in the back half of this book. So oh, get wow. bravo. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think I invited you here today? <laughs> oh, wow. You need someone to translate the character. <laughs> no, it was. I was like, I'm doing this really famous book that's got an even more famous movie. I've got to get the movie. Mr. The movie man. Mr. Movies. Yeah. <laughs> the Prince of Pictures. <laughs> so Sam Spade's like, oh, I've got to go tell Miles' wife, Eva. But really what he does is he goes to a pharmacy where he calls on a payphone his secretary, Effie, and asks her to pass on the news to Eva. So he dodges that responsibility completely. Ooh. And instead of seeing Eva, Spade goes home and starts drinking glasses of Bacardi and smoking cigarettes. Uh, okay. Whoa. Bacardi, yeah. a name brand rum? Yeah, they named the brand. Wow, that's fucking weird. So he, and he's and he has about three glasses of the stuff straight. His little party is interrupted by a visit from the police, including Sergeant Paul House, who we saw at the crime scene, and another officer, Lieutenant Dundee. Crocodile, first name. <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant C. Dundee. <laughs> Interesting. Crossover. And the three men, they all know each other from working on cases and the like. And Sam gets super defensive when they ask to see his gun. Sam's like, I don't carry one. And Dundee starts grilling him on this Thursby character that they were staking out. But Sam won't give out any information on the client asking to, tr- to, to follow him, anything like that. And Lieutenant Dandy 
Dundee accuses him of withholding information on a murder case because he reveals that just after Sam Spade left the crime scene where his partner was killed, Floyd Thursby was also shot and killed in front of his hotel. Holy shit, there's lots of murders going on. A lot of murders, a yeah. lot of murders. Lot of murders. Wow. And they, they say that Sam had time and motive to track down and kill him, possibly in retaliation for Floyd killing his partner, Miles. Mm. Shit, he should just go on the record right now going like, honestly, I never really liked the guy, but not enough to kill him. So <laughs> yeah. I didn't like him enough to not to kill him and certainly didn't like him enough to, uh, to go for vengeance for his death. I'm actually yeah. quite nonplussed about the whole thing. Yeah, that's right. I'm indifferent about it all. I just wanted to go home and drink Bacardi. I would have done that anyway. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. he's my alibi. It's a bin full of three Bacardi bottles. <laughs> Spade continues to say he knows nothing about either crime, and Lieutenant Dundee says, I don't know that I blame you a hell of a lot, but that wouldn't keep me from nailing you. He's oh, like, if you did fuck, this... That's hot. Yeah. I'm going to nail you. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to fucking nail you, brother. <laughs> and then all the men have a drink. They've all, they all have a Bacardi. They shake hands and then they part ways. Okay. Then the next day, Eva Archer, who's the wife of Miles Archer, who's been killed, comes down to the detective agency. And when she gets there, she kisses Sam Spade on the mouth. Because oh it God. turns out the two have been having an affair for quite a while. Okay. Oh my god. So maybe a bit of motive there going on. We're not sure. Shit. I retract my previous statement. This guy yeah. might have killed him. Mm. Yeah. The only thing we know is how people look, and it describes Eva as, quote, a blonde woman of a few more years than 30. Her facial prettiness was perhaps five years past its best moment, which is. Brutal from yes. Dashiell Hammett. But oh what God. letter does her nose take the shape of? That's what I really need to know to understand who this person is. It's a it's a giant X, like a target. Oh God, Ooh. that's disgusting. That's like Voldemort or something. A flat X. Eva actually asked Sam Spade outright if he killed Miles Archer because it turns out Miles wouldn't give her a divorce. But Sam Spade denies it. He says, no, 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 I didn't. So the the police think he killed Floyd and Eva thinks she may have killed her husband, Miles. It's all very messy and we're not sure who to trust, who to turn to in this book. It is very messy, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. But Sam Spade is a pretty ice cold kind of guy, which we see when he says to his secretary, Effie, quote, have the spade and archer taken off the door and have Samuel Spade put on. So instantly oh removes God. his murdered partner's name off the door. This guy moves too fast. Oh like, God, let yeah. it sit for a second. Yeah, give us the a hot bo- sec. The body's not even cold yet, mate. And you're slicing off the letters from the door and it's adding like... Samuel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Sam Spade then goes to see Miss Wonderly, who's the lady that came by and asked him in the first place to follow Floyd Thursby. He's trying to get to the bottom of what the hell's going on. And she admits the whole story about her sister, Corinne, and the parents coming back from Europe, that was all totally made up. What? It's bogus. Her name's not even Miss Wonderly. Oh my gosh. She tells him her real name is Bridget O'Shaughnessy. <gasps> Bridget O'Shaughnessy. Can I make a prediction? Yes. I think she is the Maltese Falcon. <laughs> okay. That's what I think. That's what I assume this book is about. We have to guess who's the Maltese Falcon. Mm. Who, which one is secretly a bird? 
Of course, and O'Shaughnessy, a famously Maltese surname. That's famous. <laughs> That's actually famous. Well, we're going to find out. You, you, you've put in your, your bed early. That's yeah. the Maltese Falcon. We'll That's find the out. Maltese Falcon, but I'm allowed to change it because I've never seen it. And also, I'll never watch it because I don't care. There's too many boys in this story already. Yeah, and I'm going to yeah. put my bet on what I, who I think the Maltese Falcon is. I think it's Australian <laughs> rugby legend Mario Fennec, known as the Maltese Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> Was that really his nickname? Yeah, <laughs> Mario Fennec. Some great that's, clips of him online from the footy show days. That's awesome. There's a really wonderful clip of him from the footy show, Mario Fennec, where he's interviewing uh, a gentleman who has one arm. And at the start of the interview, Mario Fennec gives him uh, a teacup and saucer and he hands it to him with the saucer. So the guy can't use his hands to pick it up. So he's just walking around for the whole interview with a teacup on a saucer. Because he can't drink it from the saucer. Oh, no. Oh, no. So that's who I think the Maltese Falcon is. Mario God. Fennec. Beautiful. What if I tell you that one of you is correct? Well, okay. Uh, okay. okay. This is Mario Fennec. <laughs> so Bridget O'Shaughnessy, that's that's her real name, she says. She begs for Sam Spade's help, which he agrees to give if she gives him information about the two murders. She tells him that she met Floyd Thursby in Hong Kong and that he took advantage of her and that she thinks Thursby killed his partner, Miles Archer. But then she has no idea who killed Thursby. That's what she says. Mm. Spade's mm. like... Okay, I need a bit more information on Thursby. Who's this guy? How do you know him? All this sort of stuff. She starts crying and tells that she that you know she can't tell him anymore, and she's she has a bit of a, an emotional breakdown. And he says, really coldly, "Look, you can give me a rehearsed speech all you like, but I need you to tell the truth, or I'm going to go tell the police." Ooh. But she calls his bluff and says, "I guess I'll have to take my chances with the police then." And eventually, he goes, "Okay." I'll keep working with you if you give me another four hundred dollars cash, which mm. he does. Wow, cash is king in this yeah, world. It totally is. <laughs> he's like, ah, uh, I'll go to the police unless you give me this money, and then I'll trust you. So trust for cash. That's what he's done. Beautiful. When he gets back to the office, his secretary Effie, who really acts as his conscience in this uh, book, says, "Sam, if that girl's in trouble and you let her down or take advantage of." of it to bleed her. I'll never forgive you, never have any respect for you as long as I live. But if you continue to pay me, I will still work for you. After all, cash (laughs) speaks volumes. (laughs) (laughs) And just as he's about to answer, as he's about to speak to Effie, Sam Spade is interrupted by the arrival of a man named Joel Cairo, who's wearing a black hat, gloves, and a lot of jewellery. Oh, the blinking... Yeah, he's a cool guy. And his name's Joel Cairo. Very cool name. Great name. He comes in and Sam, uh, Sam's like, who the hell are you? He asks Sam about the murdered Floyd Thursby. But when Sam offers him very little response, he tells Sam that he's looking for a statuette of a black figure of a bird and that he is prepared to pay the large sum of $5,000 on behalf of its rightful owner to anyone who can help him recover it. Okay, and Sam's eyes must be rolling back into the back of his head, revealing dollar signs as he's (laughs) the irises. 
$5,000 cash? My gosh. My God, that's 10 times the amount of having to hang out with uh, that Wonderly chick. Wow. Yeah. For just for less than 10% of that, he's willing to trust someone who he, he knows he shouldn't. So yeah. for five grand, he'll do he'll do anything for five thousand dollars. That's amazing. What's that in today's dollars? Like six grand? Seven? Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone up three percent. We've gone up three percent value. It's pretty Inflation's good. crazy. Inflation's crazy. Dude. Yeah. That's why everything at the shops is so expensive now. Yeah. Because yeah, it's 3% is... more than it was 90 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Every time I get a big lot of groceries, they're like, okay, it's either going to cost X dollars or hand over a black statue of a bird. <laughs> and that will be enough for these groceries that you're trying to get. Yeah, I get that down at the market. They prefer the bird. They're like, we'll accept cash, but we prefer bird. Cash or birds? <laughs> Bird, please. <laughs> it gets very confusing at the pet shop. Everyone, no idea what's going on there. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, and even more bird confusing at the statue shop. <laughs> <laughs> so he's coming in and said, basically, cards on the table. I'm looking for this statue. I'm intrigued when I'm reading this. I'm like, what's going on here? Then Secretary Effie then says, I'm off for the night. Bye bye. And as soon as she leaves, Joel Cairo alone with Sam Spade. He pulls out a gun and says, you will please... Clasp your hands together at the back of your neck. <gasps> and that's the end of a chapter, a cliffhanger. And this was originally serialized in a magazine. So that's an oh in- intriguing goodness. end to an issue. Far out. That's, that's, that's good storytelling. That's really good. I love it. I'll be like waiting till next month going like, damn, where's Effie going for dinner? Where'd she go? <laughs> Where did she go? What happens to Effie next? <laughs> Great question. Really the original cute. title of this book. What happens to Effie next? <laughs> <laughs> well, the chapter gets picked up. You know, in the following issue, it says uh, that Sam Spade, he's one cool customer. He doesn't even look at the gun. He doesn't even look at it. Joel Cairo tells him that he's going to search the office because he's looking for this blackbird. But as he pats Sam Spade down to make sure he isn't armed, Sam elbows him in the face and trips over Cairo, taking his gun in the process. Oh my God, Jason Bourne style yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. That is wicked. Rock and Incredible roll. stuff. He hits Cairo a few more times in the face and then searches the now passed out man. He finds a ticket for the night's opera, so he's dealing with a cool customer, but mm. not the $5,000 that he claimed to have. Far out. It's awesome to knock someone out. And then be like, oh, shit, opera tickets. And then just go to the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For free? <laughs> For me? A guy tried to kill me, but he's got opera tickets. All is forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to get out the smelling salts to wake him up to make it in time for the first act. <laughs> and he does eventually come round and Kara says, I could have shot you, Mr. Spade. And Spade replies, you could have tried. Oh, Very cool guy. You could have oh. tried. Yeah, very cool. Wow, cool guy. And despite being punched in the face multiple times, Kyra tells him that the $5,000 offer is still on the table. He refuses to tell Spade who his employer is, but Sam Spade agrees to help him find the bird if he gets a $200 cash payment up front. He loves cash. This God guy. damn, This dude. guy's addicted to cash. He's got real problems. He should not be... Don't hang out with this man. Yeah, someone who's just pulled a gun on you, but you're like, all is forgiven for two for a small <laughs> two hundred dollar payment. And also I would just, absolutely do that. 
But being like, I've got five grand that I'll give you and now I'm going to kidnap you and maybe shoot you and then being like, oh, nah, I do have five grand, but I was just doing that. That bit was just for fun. Okay, <laughs> prove it. Give me $200 right now. Yeah. Prove it. Yeah, be like, oh, yeah, you've got 200. You probably do have five grand. This guy's got 5K in his life somewhere. (laughs) Even though I've just searched him, I know he definitely doesn't have it on him, but surely somewhere. Somewhere. He's like, okay, I don't have $200, but I do have the equivalent. Two tickets to the opera box seats. (laughs) (laughs) The third form of payment, opera tickets. (laughs) I'll do it for a meet and greet with Rob Mills. After the show. Rob Mills and Juliet? That sounds fantastic. That stuff is fantastic. It's a fun show. So amazingly, they they agree to it. He go, he goes, Alright, give me two hundred bucks now and five thousand dollars when I find the statue and I'll work for you. Cairo agrees, Spade returns his gun, which he immediately uses to hold up Spade to finish his search of the office. Wow. Why are you such a dummy? So, but Spade laughs, he says I'll be damned. All right, go ahead. I won't stop you. And lets him search the office before they they part ways. That's kind of cool. He's like, you're an idiot, mate. Whatever, I'll play by your rules, but you're in my world, bucko. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Sam uh, soon notices that on the street, a young man described as an undersized youth starts following him everywhere he goes. And to lose his tail, he enters an apartment building and then leaves via a rear entrance. Very, very clever stuff. And he walks to Bridget O'Shaughnessy's hotel to check in on her. Okay. Because he's sus that Joel Cairo and this mysterious statue are connected to her because she's turned up at the same time as this statue. So Mm. he asks her about it, which really upsets her. But eventually she says, you have to trust me. And then she kisses Spade. Yes. She's getting smooches. Shut him up with those smoochies. That's right. Smooches. And Sam gets a little confused. He's like, I'm not sure what I'm feeling. I don't know what this is. Horny. Yeah. I'm not sure what's going on, but my penis is stiffening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not used to these kind of feelings. He goes to the, the emergency room. <laughs> Please, something's going on. I think I've got a new bone growing in my body. <laughs> <laughs> they humour him and, and x-ray it. <laughs> I mean... They know about erections in the 1920s? Probably not. Probably not yet. I but wouldn't have thought so. they're about to find out. <laughs> <laughs> Things are going to get pretty steamy over the next decade. <laughs> so they do a couple of smooches and she says before that she can tell him more, she must talk to Joel Cairo. So she does know him, but she doesn't want him to know where she's staying. So she agrees to go to Sam Spade's office to meet Joel Cairo there. You'll know it's my office. It's now got my full name on the door. I've <laughs> chucked off the name of any of my ex-partners I don't give a crap about. <laughs> and when they get there, Eva Archer, the wife of Spade's murdered partner, Miles, yes. that he was having an affair with. Oh, and now he's w- having smooches with another lady. Yeah, and she's waiting in her car outside the office because she wants to talk to Sam. But he's like, I'll talk to you later. And she's like, who's that? About Bridget O'Shaughnessy and it's a little bit awkward. And he's like, go home, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Ugh, I hate this guy. And he's got a, he's got a love triangle kicking off. Wow. And uh, he's really avoiding it. Oh, right, he's cl- a triangle. He's closed up that last little space in the V to make a whole new shape. <laughs> That's incredible. 
So, Joel Cairo comes around to Sam Spade's apartment where Bridget O'Shaughnessy is also. And they clearly know each other. And she, she tells Cairo that she can get the statue for $5,000. She says that the murdered man, Floyd Thursby, hid it somewhere and she'll be able to get it back in about a week. Hmm. Okay. Cairo asks if she knows who killed Floyd and Bridget mysteriously traces the letter G in the air, which is kind of hard to do because I'd be like, is that a C? Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to do it and like, yeah, that's a confusing, yeah. If yeah, you, someone look. does G in front of you, I'm like, okay, someone whose name starts with Q, Quentin <laughs> Shelby. <laughs> it's very confusing. It could be any other letter. Could be lowercase. Maybe that's a little bit easier. She and should like, just say it. She should just well, say the I, name. But then I'd be like, is that a lowercase Q? <laughs> <laughs> no, it curves up. It's a G. Be like, like, yeah, okay. But is so it a, a Y? <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, just a noun. Like, we don't know if it's uh, it's not of someone's first name. Then it's probably just means guy. Some guy did it, yeah. <laughs> or a gentleman, or a girl. Oh God, it could be anyone. One of the two. Oh my gosh. So it's confusing, but apparently they seem to know what they're talking about. And then Cairo makes reference to her Bridget hooking up with a man in Constantinople and Bridget gets really angry and slaps him and then he slaps her back and then Sam Spade steps in and slaps Cairo. So they're all slapping each other. Wow. And then they start kissing and throwing pillows at each other. (laughs) They gotta go back to the emergency room. (laughs) (laughs) Shit, now he's got it too. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's contagious. And so he slaps Cairo and Cairo says, that's the second time you've laid hands on me. And Sam replies, yes. And when you're slapped, you'll take it and you'll like it. Oh, everyone's getting stiff willies. This is... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And then at that moment, there's an unexpected knock at the door. Who could it be? Why? It's the two police officers, Lieutenant Dundee... And Sergeant Polehouse. Mm. And, and they're there to question Sam Spade because they've heard a rumor that he is having an affair with his murdered partner's wife, Eva, which is motive for murder. Yes, it okay. is. Where'd you hear that from? I'm actually having an affair with this different woman right now. <laughs> <laughs> Spade is not happy with the accusation and won't help and won't let the cops come inside. That is until his guest, Joel Cairo, calls out help. Help, police. And Sam has to let them in. And when they come in, they see a pretty confusing scene. Cairo is blooded because he's been slapped a few times. He's holding Bridget at gunpoint and both accuse each other of attacking the other one. And the cops are like, I don't know what's going on. We'll just arrest everyone. Ah. That is until Sam steps in and says, Oh, no, don't you get it? It's all a big practical joke. We're playing a prank on you. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, my just, God. This is like a jackass movie. Yeah. <laughs> we just thought it would be funny to get you here to make fun of you. Uh, it's, it's a joke. And the cops are really suspicious, but not wanting to go to the police station, both Cairo and Bridget agree and say, yes, he's telling the truth. It was just a practical <laughs> joke. Wow. <laughs> it's, a bit of, it's an odd scene. The first prank. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> first ever prank. And then it gets even more strange because Lieutenant Dundee, who is the more senior but more angry of the two officers, Mm. doesn't take too kindly to being pranked. 
and he punches Sam's spade <laughs> in the face. <laughs> yeah, and not one to back down from a fight. Spade squares up to fight back, but Sergeant Polhouse is able to break them up. And Spade's like, well, if you arrest anyone, I'm going to tell the newspaper that you arrested us over a practical joke and you'll be the laughing... The laughing... What's that? What's that phrase? Stock. Laughing stock. Yeah, I was thinking squad. Laughing stock of this whole town. You were the laughing squad of this town. Yeah, I was like, that that doesn't sound right. The laughing squad. (laughs) (laughs) So they they all leave, and then so does Joel Cairo. So that's a really odd scene, but we we learn a bit about that. Bridget knows Joel Cairo. Mm. They're they're all after this this mysterious statue. Mm. It's all built into something, but we just don't know what. Okay. Far out. Everybody knows everybody except for Sam. He's just meeting everyone for the first time. Yeah. He's <laughs> just a little he, guy. And for a, for a, maybe eight or nine times throughout the book, he says to Bridget, look, I really want to help you, but you've got to tell me what the hell is going on. I don't know. Who are you? What are you doing here? You keep kissing me. I'm confused. And we're not sure... Like, if he actually does want to help her, because remember, he's also agreed to help Joel Cairo to try and find the statue for $5,000. So, technically, he's on both of these people's books. They've both paid him in cash. Mm. He's kind of working for both. And because we don't hear any of his thoughts or feelings, we're not 100% sure of his allegiance. So, it's kind of like... This guy just loves money. His allegiance is to the all-American greenback. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) He is all about the Benjamins. That's what he's about. about He doesn't care about anything else. He's like, I just want all these Benjis. Yeah. That's the only one he respects. I get that. Yeah. That is my philosophy too. Yeah, I only care about money. And Maltese Falcon Squawks. (laughs) I just want that money. (laughs) So... He's like, tell me something. So she's she's pretty vague, but she says that Joel Cairo offered to pay her once she stole the statue of the bird from a Russian man called Kemedov, who lives in Constantinople, Classic. in Turkey. But then Floyd Thursby offered to pay her even more for the statue, so she gave Floyd the statue, but then she realised that he wasn't going to pay, so she hired Spade and Archer to follow him so she could find where he was to find the hidden statue. That's her story. Sam Spade's not 100% sure if he can believe it. And he demands the truth. And she again feigns exhaustion. She's like, I don't know. I don't oh, know the difference. Oh, sleepy. I don't know. Yeah. I'm too scared. I'm, I'm scared. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go hit the hay, mate. Yeah, i got to go catch a thousand Zeds. Gosh. <laughs> I've got to, got to get up early in the morning. So That's so funny. And that doesn't work, so she starts making out with him again. And that yes. does work because they spend the night together. Yes, Whoa. he's a dummy. Yeah, this guy can be manipulated by cash and a little something else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A little feminine wiles, if you will. Feminine wiles. So they spend the night together, and when Sam wakes up, he quietly goes through her bag, steals her hotel key, searches her hotel room, Finds nothing, then slips back all in before she wakes up, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, wow. That's great. He's like, oh, you just woke up. Yeah, me too, mate. Let me rub the sleep out of my eyes. (laughs) He's a great actor, Sam Spade. And whilst on the walk to the hotel and back, he notices the young man following him again, who he actually calls out. He's like, who do you work for? Who are you? But the kid's like, I don't know what you're talking about, mister. But he's like, "I, I know you're following me. I've clocked you, mate. 
Mm. Yeah. Later on, Spade goes to his office where Bridget is waiting for him. She's a bit freaked out because someone actually searched her hotel room when she was out. Oh, Sam's like, wait, who could could that be? I remember for me personally, I've been in bed with you. And that's my first thing. I woke up just as you were waking up. So I've got no idea. Let me ask around. Yeah, but obviously I've got an alibi. I'm watertight. Yeah, not uh, no idea. I can't, yeah, okay, <laughs> uh, I haven't even had my Barocca for the day yet. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I, I guess I'm the only man on the planet you're able to trust at the moment because I'm the only one you know who was definitely with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it, mate. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so, and she says, "Look, I'm freaked out. I want to move hotels again." But Sam tells her she'd be safer if she stayed with Effie, his secretary, and her family. Okay. Okay. So she's like, okay. Effie then comes in and tells them that a man mysteriously named Mr. G, remember Ooh. a G from earlier? Yeah. He's like, he's sure it's not a Q. I yeah, it was it's... Mr. Q. Yeah. Mr. Q. <laughs> wow, I can't wait to go meet Effie's family. Surely they're all Greeks that live on the roof and they have a little talk show together. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, Mr. G called. He wants to speak with you. So... Mr. G, they get him on the phone. He reveals himself to be Casper Gutman. Casper Gutman. Gutman. I was getting excited for Mr. G, famous character from Summer Heights High. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that would have been so good to see him in this. <laughs> I'm so sorry to disappoint you. Wow, so many characters from Australian comedy of days past popping up in this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it turns out Australian comedy is really hack and it's just been uh, stealing stuff from the Maltese Falcon all these years. Yeah, wow. Most of my gear is from Maltese Falcon. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. audience gets confused. They're like, you have to tell us a joke. And then I smooch him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so tired. I'm tired. Bye, guys. <laughs> oh, that's it for me, guys. All right. <sighs> anyway, 200 bucks. All of you, yeah. 200 bucks per ticket. <laughs> yeah. That's what I do. So, Goodman is another person looking for the statue, and he's actually the, the main person looking for the statue, the big boss the of Dolkara looking for the statue. Exactly, the lead villain. Cool. And he agrees to meet Spade. And the book talks about how he's a very calm and smooth talker. Mmm, beautiful. Old Mr. G. Nice. Yeah, well, he's done all those improv classes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And Sam Spade is the opposite of calm, though, because when Gutman asks Spade to find the statue for him, Spade refuses unless he gets more information about the statue. And when Gutman refuses, he gets really, really angry and starts shouting. He's basically like, no one will tell me what the hell is going on. Mm. Who are you? What is this statue? No one will talk to me. He's getting really angry. He's got a real temper. It's his fault. He He shouldn't be doing this. There's too much going on. Yeah. Yeah, and he tells Goodman that he's got until 5.30 that afternoon to give him more information or there won't be any deal whatsoever. Everything will be off the table. No deal. No deal. No deal, booyah. I love that. Then the young man who's been seen following Spade everywhere comes in and this sets him off even more. He goes on a rant and he says, keep that gun cell away from me while you're making up your mind. I'll kill him. I don't like him. He makes me nervous. I'll kill him the first time he gets in my way. I won't give him an even break. I won't even give him a chance. I'll kill him. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Far out. This guy's got anger issues. I hate him. 
<laughs> he can, he, honestly, there's a few times where you go, where did that come from? He's, a, he's got a, a very uh, short fuse, this guy. So if this annoying. guy doesn't give me $200, I'm never going to like him. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I say about all the boys. <laughs> so there's three people looking for the statue that we don't fully know what it is, but this is a recap. So we've got Bridget O'Shaughnessy that Sam's hooking up with but doesn't trust. Mm-hmm. Joel Cairo, covered in jewellery whose spade has now slapped several times. Yeah. And Casper Gutman, a.k.a. Mr. G, who's had a young man following him. Mm-hmm. They all want the statue. He's not even sure what it is, but he's basically he's agreed to the first two and he says, if you tell me by 5.30, I'll help you as well, Casper Gutman. So he's really yeah, playing them all off. Wow. Wow. What I would do is, as soon as I find the statue, I'm getting replicas made and I'm going to cash it in at all three points. Oh, yeah. You get three, three $5,000 cash jackpots. Mm-hmm, that's it. And it will pop off. <laughs> and then you could even, if you made, if you got, you've got three fakies made and then you could keep the real one for yourself and have $15,000 cash. Ooh, far out. You're devious, Mr. Warnicky. Devious. <laughs> Diabolical. Yes. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So Spade arrives back at his office and finds his secretary, Effie, who I'm a big fan of, waiting for him. She tells Spade that Bridget, who was supposed to stay with her, never showed up. So she came back to the office to, to find Sam. She's like, she was supposed to come around and hang out with my family. She never arrived. We made my all this. My mum made m- look at <laughs> <laughs> We got this big monster car going to waste <laughs> Mum's furious. <laughs> And Sam is unsure what happened to her because the last he saw, he was putting her into a cab to go to Effie's place. Mm. And he's like, I made sure she wasn't followed. There was no funny business. All she had to do was go to your house. She never made it. So he goes to the taxi rank and finds the driver who he paid to drive her who says, oh, yeah, she asked to stop for a newspaper. And when I got to the newspaper, she looked at it and then asked me to keep driving in a different direction and drop me off at the ferry instead. So Sam grabs a newspaper to try and look for a clue as to what she might have seen that changed her mind. But he, he doesn't notice anything out of the ordinary. So he's like, all right, I'll save that for later. Wow. Which we will also save for later. He's mm. like, well, I guess chicks are crazy. <laughs> her, her horoscope was in the paper. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you need a break. <laughs> he doesn't notice anything. So goes back to the office where that boy that he hates is waiting for him. And what's more, the kid has a gun in his pocket and tells Spade that his boss, Casper Gutman, wants to see him immediately. Wow. He's like, is that a gun in your pocket or do you need to go to the hospital immediately? <laughs> <laughs> so they go and see Gutman, Mr. G. But as they approach his door, Sam Spade jumps the young man and takes both of his guns, knocks him out. And then he knocks on the Gutman's door. Basically, he did it to embarrass the kid just to prove that wow. this kid can't you know, can't hold me at gunpoint. Wow. And Gutman's actually pretty impressed that he was able to d- disarm his employee so easily. It's a child! Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's basically a young kid. 
Anyway, I'm not sure he needed to be taken at gunpoint anyway because Casper has decided to tell Sam Spade about the statue, which is what he's been desperate to know about the whole book. So he could have just called him and said, hey, come round. I'll tell you about the statue, the thing you want to know about. Mm. And to be honest, it's quite a long story that goes over several pages. There's lots of history to this statue. But the crux of it is, Goodman says, in the 1500s, the Order of the Hospital of St. John of Jerusalem, later called the Knights of Rhodes, were the wealthy rulers of Malta, and they gave a gold and bejeweled falcon statue to Emperor Charles V, King of Spain, as a symbol of their loyalty. I think Malta came under Spain at the time, and he said, you can have Malta, but as rent every year, as a symbolic gesture, you have to give me one bird. And they would give him a live bird every year, but this year, to say thanks, they made him this really, really expensive statue instead. Whoa, okay. Man, I wish I could pay my rent that way. Just like, hey, yeah. <laughs> it's either this or here's a plastic bag with a magpie in it. <laughs> <laughs> here's a finch. <laughs> here's a finch, mate. Couple of quails. <laughs> <laughs> you have to get the bird scale worked out. All right. A couple of quails, that equals one finch. That's about a week's worth. Okay, mm-hmm. a magpie in a bag. I reckon that's about a month you've got covered there. <laughs> There's a real scale. But then the twist in the story is that the foot-high statue, so it's about you know 30 centimetres long, this thing, never made it to Spain. Oh. An Algerian buccaneer took it, and then the falcon passed from one owner to the next throughout the centuries, and it was eventually painted black to disguise its worth. Oh. It was very shiny and gold and covered in jewels, but Beautiful. you know, it's current. Currently, what it looks like is just like a black statue that you wouldn't think was worth possibly millions of dollars. Wow! Whoa. Ultimately, the bird was found in an obscure shop owned by a Greek dealer oh. named Costa. No, <laughs> I'm going to have a real go here. Okay, Sherylos. Constantinides. Constantinides. That's nice. Does that, does that sound nice. anywhere accurate? Yeah, I've never heard the name Sherylos before, but Constantinides is pretty Greek. Sherylos sounds like a 1920s go at Greek. Yeah. It sounds like we. I know oh, yeah. Sherlock. What if Sherlock was Greek? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Sherylos. I like it. Sherylos. Okay. But maybe it's a might, common name. Maybe. It might sound a little something like this. <laughs> so, yeah, that's where the it, the bird ended up in this Greek antique dealer's shop. He told Gutman about the bird, but then Constantinides, the Greek man, I'm so sorry to say, was murdered and the bird was stolen from him. I didn't oh. even get to meet this guy. No, I'm sorry. God dang it. I was so excited to get to know about Sherylos. <laughs> know what his interests are, what his life is like. Yeah. But we'll never know. Well, he likes antiques, so that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But yeah, he does sound like a cool guy. And then he, he told Casper Gutman about it. Then he was murdered. Then Casper Gutman, Mr. G, searched the world for 17 years trying to find where the statue that had once again disappeared had gone to. Wow. And he traced it to a Russian general named Kemedov who lived in Constantinople. The general had no idea of the actual value or significance of the statue because it was still painted black. He just liked it. And he liked it and he refused to sell it to Gutman because he's a bit of a contrary guy. He's like, oh, you want this? Well, I don't want to sell it then. 
Let me just say, he, this Russian guy, he deserves the statue because he just liked it. He thought it was beautiful. He doesn't care about the monetary value of it. He was just like, I love this. Sure, yeah. I killed this Greek guy to get it, but I like oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on. For a second, I forgot that big. I was like, this is maybe my favorite character. You're right. He appreciates art for, for how it is. But you're right. He did murder an he innocent Greek man. He might have. He might have. We don't know for a fact. I think he did. Yeah, we d- Okay. Yeah, honestly, it could have changed hands a few times between the murder and mm-hmm. in those 17 years, but we don't know. But Michelle thinks he did, and I believe her. I, it, oh, wow. I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you for looking out for the Greek guy. You, that's my, that, you know I'm always doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so this Russian general said, I'm not going to sell it to you. So Kasper Gutman wasn't going to give up. So he sent some agents to go and get it which they did. They don't say how. We don't know if Kemadov was murdered. We're not sure. But it has since again disappeared, and now he wants to know where the hell it is. So he makes Sam Spade an offer. If he can find the bird, he'll pay him either $50,000 straight away or 25% of the overall profits once he sells it. And he estimates that the bird could be worth over $2 million. Oh, my stars. That's Mr. what, 2.1 yeah. two, two now? Yeah, 2.1 yeah, two, two now. Yeah. 2.1 now. A couple of magpies in a bag. Oh, yeah. my God. Sam must be like, oh, oh, I, I, oh, I, oh, I can't even imagine how much money that is. Yeah, like, he'll do anything for 100 bucks. Yeah. He's got steam coming out of his ears. God almighty. He's just like, uh, get me to a doctor. Let's just say... There's a lot of bones growing in my body right now. <laughs> so Sam, he starts thinking over the offer, but then he realizes that his drink has been drugged. Oh, oh gosh. It's like, hang on a second. My Bacardi tastes really freaking weird right now. <laughs> <laughs> and he tries to stand up, and the young man that was following him, the man that he ha- hates, whose name is revealed to be Wilma. <gasps> Valderrama. Wil- I don't know. Wilma Valderrama from that 70s show? (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. Yeah, it's him. Oh my gosh. Great casting. It's crazy. (laughs) Well, Wilma rushes in and pushes the drugged Sam over and then kicks him in the face whilst he's down. Yikes. Straight in the Vs. No, thank you. (laughs) How do you think he got the Vs in the first place? A couple of kicks. Oh, God, no. They've turned into Ws. He's broken those Vs up. Sam passes out and he's knocked out cold for 12 hours straight before waking up. He's like, where the hell am I? So he goes to his office. He tells his secretary, Effie, what's happened and asks her to get her cousin, who is a history professor, to quietly research the story of the Maltese Falcon to make sure it's actually real. That's awesome. Like, Effie, get the cousins. We've got to get the cousins involved in this one. (laughs) (laughs) He's like... How many cousins you got? Surely you've got one that's a history professor. Like, surely. Yeah, and I've got a thousand cousins. Does. Most of them are mechanics, but I got one <laughs> history professor in the family. <laughs> he then heads over to Joel Cairo, the other guy that's been looking for the statue that he's technically working for because he's been paid 200 bucks cash. By the way, I've been imagining Joel Cairo as played by Joel Creasy this whole time. Oh, it, <laughs> Very I, cool. That's helpful to me, actually, because yeah. I find it hard to tell everyone apart if I can't picture them, but now I can. Yeah, like I'm I imagining said, Joel Creasy at this point's coming and in. And he's he's wearing a hat, he's wearing gloves, he's wearing a lot of jewels. Okay. That's very cool. That's Joel very, Creasy. That's yeah, Joel Creasy. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Okay. 
And so he goes to Joel Cairo or Joel Creasy's hotel with the help of his friend called Luke. And Luke is a hotel detective, which is a job I'd never heard of. I had to look it up. Mm-hmm. But apparently, hotels used to have a person in plain clothes hired to monitor the security of a hotel and investigate various security, morality, oh. or rule violations. Yes. That's pretty See, cool. There is a comic book series for young readers called Goldie Vance, where it's a teenage girl that is a hotel detective for the hotel her mum works at. Very, oh. very nice stories. Cool. Oh, yeah, right. So it's ba- I guess it's the kind of thing where you check in with someone who's not your husband or wife. Luke comes over. He's like, "Sorry, who's eh, this? No funny business. You guys better so. not be screwing behind those closed yeah. doors." And then they say, "Oh, we're definitely not." He says, "Right, th- right this way, then." Right mm. this way. And then they just sit at the door with a nice little cup against it to <laughs> yeah. go. Let me check. Let me check if I hear any moaning and groaning. <laughs> oh, actually, will come a knocking. I will be putting <laughs> you away. And so he knows the the detective at the at this hotel that Cairo's staying at. So Luke lets him search his room, which is like, are you really a moral detective or not? Like you just let a man search another guy's room. He notices a newspaper with a section about ship arrivals ripped out. Mm. How does he know what's ripped out? He wouldn't go, damn, the whole ship arrival section's out. Or is it just like... You, if it's ripped out, you won't know what it is. Page well, nine, what he does that's it, the ship arrivals. He's very clever. He goes and gets he gets a copy of the newspaper and then compares it to the copy and says, what's been ripped out here? Uh, okay, so he's a good detective. Yeah, and he sees the bit that's been ripped out is about a ship called La Paloma, which had arrived in San Francisco from Hong Kong yesterday morning. Mm-hmm. And remembering that Bridget said she met the guy that murdered Floyd Thursby at the start of the book in Hong Kong. Yeah. He realises that Bridget, who disappeared after buying a newspaper, must have seen the same notice (gasps) and had taken the taxi to the ferry to meet that ship. Yep. La Paloma. Yep. So it's all adding up here. Yep. Oh, my God. Wow, wow, wow. And then he gets back to the office where Effie has verified the truth to the story of the Falcon statue. Her cousin, the history professor, has said, yeah, that's the truth. That's a real thing. It's worth lots of money. And then Sam's like, why do you have soot on your face? Oh. And she mentions, oh, I passed the harbour on the way here. There was a boat on fire called La Paloma. No. Why? And first of all, he's like, it's not the La Paloma. It's just La Paloma. That's like saying that <laughs> <twice>. <laughs> He stops to correct it, which is so great. And then he's like, all right. That fire must mean La Paloma has something to do with Bridget and the statue everyone's looking for. It's all adding up. So he goes down to La Paloma or the La Paloma (laughs) and and has a chat to some of the crew of the burnt out boat. He then comes back to the office and he tells Effie what he's found. He's found the previous night, which is the night of the fire, Bridget, Casper Goodman, Joel Cairo slash Creasy and Wilma the kid that he hates had all met on board with the captain of the ship the captain of La Paloma, whose name's Captain Jacoby. And they had this big meeting on the ship. Hmm. And then he reckons that uh, the fire was started by accident. But just as he's explaining this theory about the fire, a tall, thin man walks into the office, about seven foot tall, it says he is. Oh, my God, Slender Man. And then, yeah, yeah, with um, inflation, that'd be seven... (laughs) 
<laughs> seven foot one. <laughs> That's a big man <laughs> these days. Holy shit. That's really huge. Absolutely gigantic. A ginormous fella pops into the room. Wow. Yeah, he walks in unannounced and he and it says that held tight against the left side of his chest by a black sleeved arm that ended in a yellowish claw was a brown paper wrapped parcel bound with thin rope. An ellipsoid somewhat larger than an American football. Oh. The man says, you know, and then collapses on the ground and dies. Oh, oh too my tall. gosh. The blood yeah, did tall. not get to his head. He was like, hang too on a tall second. To live. The blood is rushing to another part of my body. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Sam discovers that the man has been shot six times in the back. Oh, mm. holy crap. That's a whole lot of bullets. Wow. Yeah. Which is almost as many as 50 Cent was shot that time, remember? Yes. Yeah. A girl in high school stole my 50 Cent CD. And when oh. I get to go to my high school reunion, I'm going to call her out. And I'm going <laughs> to shoot her in the back six, six times. Six times. Yeah. So she, she should probably not come. <laughs> and that's a warning. It's <laughs> a warning for her, mate. Yeah. Back what, off. What would you do? Okay. Would you forgive her if she turned up with the CD now? Yeah, I'd love it. I would love okay. it. I'd be grateful you for the content. Yeah, that's But great. you wouldn't expect like, you know, some interest, like a, an extra CD single of 50 Cent or something. That yeah, I'd expect a single. You? I'd expect a single <laughs> with a B-side. I'd, the candy I'd shop B-side. Like a Latin remix. <laughs> <laughs> so he tells Effie to lock the door because this man's just died in the, in the room. He unwraps the package the man was holding and discovers... What it is, and it oh is God. an American football, an American football sized Maltese Falcon. Oh, I will, wow, 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 wow! And he grabs Effie and says, "We've got the damn thing, Angel." And she replies, "Elch, you're hurting me." <laughs> so, <laughs> a great little exchange there. His theory is that the dead man is Captain Jacoby from the burnt-out ship La Paloma. Mm. He's like, okay. That's who I think this is. But at that moment, the phone rings and it's Bridget, Bridget O'Shaughnessy, who says she's at Casper Goodman's hotel and is in danger. Mm. So Sam Spade immediately leaves with the Falcon under his arm, tells Effie to call the police. He says, if possible, try not to mention the Falcon. <laughs> don't, don't lie about it, but... Just don't bring it up if you don't have to. Just say that there's a dead man on the floor. We're not sure why. <laughs> Which is so great. And on, on the way out of the office, he, quote, took his hand from his chin and rubbed her cheek and says, you're a damn good man, sister. And that's the end of that chapter. Oh, Whoa. my God. <laughs> some, there's some fun phrases in here. Yeah. You're a damn good man, sister. Yeah. <laughs> So Spade hides the Falcon in a locker at the bus depot and then Express posts the key back to his apartment, which is great. But imagine if the postie's lost it. Yeah, Ooh. don't do that. It's risky, but he does that. He then goes to Goodman's hotel where uh, he thinks uh, Bridget is in trouble and he's led in by Raya Goodman, who's Casper Goodman's daughter, who mm. collapses into his arms. Mm. And he realises that she has been drugged just like he was. Oh. And she tells him that, that she's been keeping herself awake by making cuts in her belly with a metal pin, just oh. sort of stabbing herself a little bit, which is interesting. Disturbing. Mm. 
And she says, I needed to stay awake long enough to tell you that my dad, Goodman, Joel Kairos, that's Creasy, and Wilma, the boy you hate, have taken Bridget to an address 20 miles from San Francisco, and I think Bridget's life is in danger. So he puts her to bed, says, all right, you can sleep off the poison now. He grabs a taxi and heads out to the address, but when he gets there, he realizes it's a total bum steer. The house is abandoned. No one's there. He's been tricked. Oh, a mama. So he goes back to his apartment, and as he puts the key in the door, Bridget arrives and kisses him. She says she's been staking out his place waiting for him to arrive home. They go inside his apartment and the lights suddenly turn on and inside waiting for him are Casper Goodman, John Joel Cairo, and the kid that he hates, Wilma, and they're all, I repeat, all holding guns. Oh. oh that's a lot of pistols. A lot of pistols. Yeah. And it's about time we found out, find out what the heck is going on here. Yeah, what the heck is going on here? He's just like, come on, guys. Like, there's so many threads coming here and to hither and thither, and I'm just trying to get this freaking statue. Just tell me what is going on. Yeah. Who are you? Who are you? Who's this kid? I'm so messed up right now. The whole story, he's just been yelling, what is going on? Oh, in Who, fact, I, for the love of goodness sake, just one of you shoot me in the head. I'm yeah. tired of this stuff. Either tell me or put me out of my misery. I just want to go to bed. I'm so, I don't even care about the statue anymore i'm bored true true he'd be so bored so we're gonna find out some answers here so casper goodman admits that he had his daughter fake being drugged to get spade out of town so they could search for captain jacoby okay spade offers to give the falcon to goodman he's like i've got the falcon and i'll give it to you for the agreed fifty thousand dollars and then we can part ways but goodman instead produces an envelope with only ten one thousand dollar bills in it one thousand dollar bills yeah, there's one thousand dollar bills here, which also what? I was surprised at. Maybe it's a nineteen twenties thing. I'm not sure. Or maybe it was never a thing, and he's like, "Hmm, seems legit." Yeah, <laughs> I am willing to give you a one million dollar note. And he's like, "Sounds great. <gasps> I love cash." Gosh, Goodman's like, "Look, I'm only, I'm only, I've only got ten grand. That's what I'll give you." And Spade's like, "Okay." I won't tell you where the bird is, but I can get it in the morning, knowing that that's when the ma- the first mail arrives. Mm. But he doesn't say, doesn't tell them that. But before they get to the matter of the money, Sam Spade says they need to get a fall guy for the murders of Floyd Thursby and Captain Jacoby, the man that was shot and died in his office. Until someone goes down for those crimes, he says none of them will be able to live in peace. So Spade suggests that they pin both murders on Wilma, the kid that he so rationally hated throughout the whole book. Oh my He's like, God. Finally, kid, you got it coming, mate. I've been holding out this pin <laughs> one on you. He's been waiting this whole book. He's like, You kicked me in the face when I was poisoned. Now I'm going to kick you in the face. Yeah, he and really hates him. You're going to go to prison for a long time for the murders of two fellas. <laughs> yeah. And Casper, Casper Goodman, his boss, is, he's shocked. He says, But Wilma's like a son to me. Oh, whoa. But Spade tries to convince him that Wilma's the perfect fall guy. He says, I know the district attorney in this city. He doesn't care if Wilma's guilty. He just wants conviction figures. Mm -hmm. 
And he's and like, once... face it, the kid sucks. This guy's got a bad vibe. He's rude. He's always following people around like a bad smell. Yeah. Oh, look at him. Oh, yuck. Uh, he's got a horrible vibe. Get rid of this guy. Okay? He's perfect to be the stool pigeon for this thing. And he's like, once he's arrested, no one's going to believe him if he tries to betray us and tell them about the Falcon. He'll just sound crazy. Sound crazy. Wilma. Listening on, the kid, unsurprisingly, isn't keen on the idea and threatens to kill Sam Spade if he keeps talking. Yeah. Casper Goodman, his boss, calms the kid down and says, don't worry, we'll never frame you. It's all good. Joel Cairo, the other man in the room, suggests, who's Joel Creasy, suggests that they frame Bridget for the murders instead. And Sam Spade's like, okay, if you can make her look guilty, I'm willing to discuss that option. And she's shocked because she's like, hang on, we're lovers. You're uh, just... You're willing to betray me? Oh, oh, fuck this guy. You know he's going to fuck me over. Yeah, what the heck? Hmm. Sam Spade mocks Wilma, who's holding a gun, saying, look, you've got a gun, but I could easily disarm you like I did before. You've got no chance, so you may as well put it away. <laughs> Wilma points the gun at Spade, but Goodman grabs Wilma before he can fire, and then uh, he knocks Wilma unconscious. And then Spade says to Goodman, Look, we either make Wilma the fall guy or I'll turn you all in and no one's going to get the Falcon. And on Mm. hearing this, Goodman concedes that the man he thinks of like a son should also be the fall guy. (laughs) (laughs) And Sam Spade is stoked that the kid he hates so much is going to go down to the front. (laughs) He hates that kid. Uh, When Wilma wakes up, he's understandably pissed that everyone has decided to frame him, but he's now unarmed and he's just sulking in the corner of the apartment. (laughs) Spade says that he needs to know what actually happened so they can pin all the murders on Wilma and that everyone can get their story straight. So Casper Gutman explains what actually happened. Mm -hmm. (gasps) He says, Wilma did kill Floyd Thursby. Okay. So so it makes sense that he's going to go down. Yeah, I think he's the right fall guy. Yeah. The Fair evidence enough. will point towards him, yeah. So, And he did it so that Bridget would fear that her life was in danger, that she was next on the hit list, and it would give Goodman the falcon that her and Thursby had. Then during the meeting on the ship La Paloma, remember they all had a big meeting on the ship, Bridget and Captain Jacoby agreed to give Goodman the bird after he threatened to kill them, but they managed to escape and they ran to Bridget's hotel, and that's when the fire broke out on that boat. It burnt. Goodman was able to track down Bridget and the captain to the hotel, and that's where Wilma again shot Jacoby. Oh my when god! He was tr- when he was trying to escape with the statue, so he did in fact commit both of the murders. What He's the fuck? guilty. Yeah. <laughs> and Captain Jacoby, so he got shot in the back six times, and that's when he ran to Sam Spade's office and died and gave him the statue. Goodman then forced Bridget to call Sam Spade and pretend to be in danger, so he left the office. Remember how he got a call saying, Hi, it's Bridget here. I'm in danger at Goodman's Hotel. So we ran off. And they did that hoping that they could find Jacoby in the statue while Spade was out of town on that, go- on that wild goose chase in that, that apartment, that building that was abandoned. Not knowing that Sam had already got the statue and stashed it away somewhere. So that's what happened. And they're, and they're like, great, that's the story. That's, that's what's happening. They then hang out in the apartment all night waiting for morning when the mail was going to arrive. And that's when Sam... Spade calls Secretary Effie, Effie and asks her to collect his mail and bring the statue to the apartment, which he which she does. Spade hands the statue over to Casper Goodman, 
who chips away the black paint and the enamel that's been hiding the gold and jewels beneath it for centuries. But he is shocked to discover that rather than gold, it's made of lead and oh. it is a fake statue. Ooh. Oh, gosh. Gutman starts shouting, losing his mind, saying he's been duped. But Bridget and Joel Cairo both swear that this statue was the same one they stole from that Russian general, Kemedov. So they've all been chasing a fake this whole time. There's no funny business. It's been funny the whole time. <laughs> so all this stuff has been for nothing. Gosh, okay. be awesome if you just like start chipping away at this statue and go, hang on a second, this is a freaking... It's a freaking red herring. Yeah. <laughs> Inside this black statue. Oh my Inside god. But red... that it's a freaking MacGuffin. <laughs> and so there's a lot of screaming, a lot of accusations, a lot of confusion. And during this, Wilma, everyone's fall guy, quietly slips out of the apartment and escapes. Oh god, you would. You would. Like, is that even it? a fall? Guys, is the perpetrator of the violent crime. <laughs> so I should say that the the guilty man, the murderer. Who all, yeah, he escapes. So Casper Goodman, Mister G, he's furious, but he's dedicated years of his life to finding the statue, and he says, "I'm not going to give up now." He reasons that Kemedov in Constantinople, the Russian general, must have made a, a decoy falcon, mm. and that he must still have the real one. So he's mm. like, "I'm going to go there." Let's go kill this Russian. I mean, let's go get the Falcon. Yeah. <laughs> Goodman demands that Sam Spade return his envelope with $10,000, but Sam refuses until Goodman pulls out a golden gun, which is <gasps> very cool. Whoa, that's Sam- a one-hit kill weapon. From Goldeneye. Yeah, that's right. Oh, gosh. Yeah, one shot, one kill. Wow. Oh, gosh. Uh, and brandished by none other than Christopher Lee in that James Bond movie. Yes, Scaramanga in The Man with the Golden Gun. So that also makes it like a collector's item. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very Absolutely. cool. Very cool. Also yeah. another collector's item, he has a third nipple, that character. So oh, yeah. if you were to get that nipple, I'm sure it'd be worth at least $10,000 in today's currency. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. That's right. That's, no one knows what he looks like, but that's how identify, they yeah. identify him, isn't it? With the nipple. Very fun. Yep, yep, yep. Very fun. And is it Roger Moore wears a fake nipple? He chucks he pretends... on that little nip. He puts a little yeah, nip Yeah, he, he wears the third nipple to, <laughs> to pretend to be Scaramanga. Very fun stuff. Anyway, he pulls out the golden gun and says, no, I won't be leaving you with $10,000 cash. But Sam gives him the envelope back after taking out $1,000 as a bribe for not telling the police. And Goodman's like, all right, fair enough. And then he leaves with Joel Cairo. And Sam's stoked because he's got $1,000 cash, which he loves. He loves cash. Dream come true. (laughs) This is great. He's just so happy with cash. So, so happy. Then we get to the final chapter, the final part to uh, wrap up this neat little package. As soon as they leave, Spade calls his frenemy, Sergeant Polehouse, who's like, you know, the cop that he's been sort of battling throughout the throughout the book, and lets him know that Wilma killed Thursby and Captain Jacoby on Goodman and Kyra's orders. But then we find out that Wilma, after escaping, gunned down Goodman in retaliation for selling him out as the as a foreman. Fair. Yeah, cool. So so he's gone, and then they're gonna arrest. Wilma and Cairo. So it's now just Sam Spade and Bridget O'Shaughnessy in his apartment. And he's still not 100% 100 sure where she fits into everything. But he's got a bit of an inkling. 
And he tells her he needs to know the truth if he is to protect her, which is about the ninth time he's told her. <laughs> wow. I don't think she needs you to protect her. I think she's no. doing pretty well. Yeah. He accuses her of killing his partner, Miles Archer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's knowing that his partner would never have gone into that secluded alley where he was shot with a stranger. And he's like, by the way, I don't care that much. So don't <laughs> freak out. You can't tell me the truth. <laughs> Just tell me. Just tell me. He accuses her of shooting Miles Archer with Thursby's gun, hoping that the police would arrest Thursby for the crime and that she would be able to keep the Falcon all for herself. Oh, yeah, vibe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Vibe, vibe, vibe. Yeah, get it, girl. (laughs) Yes, queen. (laughs) But then as soon as she heard that Thursby himself had been killed, she knew Goodman had tracked them down and that's when she turned to Sam Spade for protection. And she's like... All right, you got me. That's the truth. But will you help me? She's like, you love me, right? And she said, he says, maybe I do. What of it? What? <laughs> what, if the, what about the other woman? Yeah, what about Eva? What about Eva? Well, she's like, don't you love me? And he says, maybe I do. What of it? He knows he can't trust her. All the other people she's double-crossed throughout this whole book. But she asked him to... Le- she's like, all right, you don't have to protect me, but at least let me go. But he says... I'm sunk if I haven't got you to hand over to the police when they come. That's the only thing that can keep me from going down with the others. I won't play the sap for you. Whoa. And she's like, but you didn't even like Miles. Who cares? True. And he says, Miles was a son of a bitch. I found out that the first week we were in business together and I meant to kick him out as soon as the year was up. You You didn't do me a damn bit of harm by killing him. But when a man's partner is killed, he's supposed to do something about it. Okay, so he has some morals. Yeah. Like, sure, I didn't like this guy, but we co-owned a business together, so I owe it to him. It's it's the principle of it. I've got to do it. Yeah. And he says, the chances are you'll get off with life. That means you'll probably be out again in 20 years. You're an angel. I'll wait for you. Then it says, he he cleared his throat. If they hang you, I'll always remember you. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's pretty badass. That is bad. And that's when the, his police buddies arrive to arrest her. Oh, my God. <laughs> so here you go. Either way, it's a win-win for you. You go to prison for 20 years, but when you come out, I'll be around for you. If you die, I'll think about you. <laughs> win-win. <laughs> yeah. And you asked, Michelle, what about the other woman, Eva? What about the well, other woman? Finally, back at his office, Effie... The secretary tells Sam that his partner's wife, Eva, has arrived. Sam has been putting off talking to her the whole book. Mm-hmm. And the final line of the Maltese Falcon, it all ends with him saying, well, send her in. Oh. Okay. Fun. And that's the end. Ah. Wow. Beautifully read, Dave. Beautifully read. Thanks, Dave. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. A wonderful synopsis. A wonderful synopsis. And Sam Spade has gone on to be sort of this legendary character because of the movie, because of the book was a big seller. Like this book's often listed in like the top 10 best sort of detective novels of all time, these kind of things, because it set a lot of a lot of tropes going forward. And it's interesting, like I think the characters had a, a big influence and this is the only novel that Sam Spade ever mm. appears in. He wrote a couple of short stories, Hammett, that he came in. It's not like a, a Poirot or a Sherlock Holmes where this was his recurring character. It's just from from this one story, yeah, wow. he's so, sort of a legendary character. Dave, what did you think of the most recent Poirot? Uh, the movie, The Haunting in Venice? Yeah. 
I haven't seen it yet, I'll have to admit. Oh, that's a surprise to me. Yes, but I do like the 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 David Suchet adaptation of Halloween Party that it's based on. It's one of my favourites, so mm. I would like to see it. Mm. Have have either of you seen it? Yes. No. I've seen it. And what did you think? Uh, I think I want it. Listen, when a movie doesn't have enough sunlight, I, I, I it loses points for mm. me. You've I'm got like, cinematic seasonal depressive disorder. I really do. I'm like, <laughs> can we get some fucking summer? Mm-hmm. Like I, any movie set in space, I'm like, oh, oh God. Yeah. Can we get even, a blue though- sky in here? <laughs> In space, no one can hear you winch. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I hate it up there. No, I love space. It just, uh, it's ugly. No, it's not. It's beautiful. So it's a little bit dark for you. <laughs> a little bit okay. dark for me and not dark, spooky, dark, like just visually too dark. Lack mm. of sunlight. Interesting. And I've got rubbish sure. eyes. So I was like, I can't see enough. Uh, I get that. And to be honest, that makes me want to see it at the cinema because, you know, when you're watching a movie at home these days, Things are so dark on a TV. You're like, who's that? Yeah, you're yep. like, what the fuck Where's is this? That? I would say go see it at like a yeah, like a good quality cinema. Yeah, where you can see it properly. I went to an art house cinema where it was like a, one of the smaller screens they have. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, right. Where it's basically a glorified TV. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, oh no, I've stuffed up. <laughs> so I don't know. Dang. I don't know anything about the movie. I just know it's too dark. I. Love a rump. I'll watch it again. Are you sure the screen was turned on? Maybe no, it, it might not have been turned screen. on. Yeah, yeah, there was no sound as well. I didn't okay. like how it was yeah. silent. Yeah, okay, fair yeah. enough. Thank you. We've all had that happen to us. We've all walked into the wrong cinema that was not playing a movie. <laughs> I can't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I thought about it. I really don't know. I enjoyed it, but I don't know if it's good. I'm keen to see, I'm keen to see it. I think the first two because I, I definitely don't like the 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 Kenneth Branagh Poirot as much as the the quintessential portrayal by David Suchet. I love those, but I really think that they the the movies they usually look good with like the scenery, mm-hmm. especially you know on the Nile when they're that was beautiful uh, that that I love, one. absolutely love that love so that so stunning. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. Either way. Either way, but yeah. Yeah. Maybe it'll be too dark for me as well. On well, the you just we'll don't see. get lots of visual. Like, you don't get those fun visuals that I think are necessary for a romp. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Something that feels like you're traveling yeah. throughout that fantastic Art Deco era across Europe. I love it. Yeah. It felt like a waste of that because you're in this house for ages. And I was like, get me out of the house. And Venice, one of the world's most beautiful cities. Yeah. I was like, what, what, a, wa- what a waste. Show us a canal or two, bucko. Come on. <laughs> Anyway. Hey, before we usually end with a score out of five, before you do that, would you like one fun fact from the movie? Yes, please. Absolutely, dude, please. From the Maltese Falcon. Because you're wondering, like, how much are these statues worth now, like in today's money? Mm. Well, in 2013, I'm happy to say one of the many statuettes of the Falcon made for the film sold at auction for four million dollars. Oh my god. Inflation. Yeah. And that it's not made of gold or anything. It's just like a prop, but because wow. of the movie is so influential and like this is such an iconic piece. Wow. It was so- sold for four million dollars cash. So in in the end it, it came true. It was Gosh. worth that much money. Wow. It would look great in a media unit, just like next to your TV or something. In a media yeah. unit. I would love that. Ah, that looks so good on my C D rack. <laughs> oh, that would that would look so good next to all my Funko Pops. <laughs> yeah, it'd be beautiful. 
There's all the Guardians of the Galaxy, and in between them is the Maltese Falcon. Hell yeah. <laughs> I actually love that so much. So, yeah, what, what, did, what did you think? We usually give it a score out of five. Alexi, Michelle, how do you feel about the story? I know, Alexi, you have read the book. You have seen the movie. You've probably got your own thoughts and mm-hmm. opinions on it. But what, how, how did it come across? Uh, you know what? I would give it uh, perhaps a three. Perhaps a three for this one. Because there were moments of intense intrigue. There were quite funny moments. But maybe on this visit to the world of the Maltese Falcon... I didn't get to see Humphrey Bogart's face for a lot of it, as no, as I normally do. So I was yes. like, okay, okay, sure, yeah. Warnicky's a pretty good substitute for Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> yeah, but not I got a couple quite of V's. all the way there. Yeah, he's got a V or two on his head. <laughs> <laughs> so, th- so three out of five. No, I'm happy, happy to. Happy to hear that. And M- Michelle, how did you feel about it? I know you didn't really like the main character very much, and that often when it's something is so heavily focused on one character, that makes it difficult. Yeah, I don't care about him, so I didn't really care if he got killed or anything or if he solved it and they found the bird and the women weren't very well written. I give it to... Yeah. Two out of five. Yeah. Not enough Greek guys as well. I will not say that. Not enough Greek guys. Not enough Greek guys. Not enough feelings, not enough Greek guys. I've mm-hmm. always said that. Every party, I say that. And then <laughs> I show up and you go, tick them both. We've got lots go, of feelings. We've got at least a Greek I guy. I say, hello, Mr. Greek man. Tell me your biggest fear. And I say, probably commitment and dying alone. I oh, messed up. I love talking about it. Let's <laughs> unpack that. That's a party. I'm going to give it a... I'm, I'm usually uh, more generous than the guests, i got to say. I'm going to give it a four out of five. Well, you got to read it. Yeah. Yes, and because I did, I, I did enjoy reading. I've got to say, there is a lot of intrigue. I was sort of gripped by it. There's bits that annoyed me. Like, you know, he was needlessly angry sometimes. And I was like, what are you talking about? But I do love, like, the hunt for... For a jewel, an Indiana Jones style, like I was intrigued by the history of this Maltese Falcon. Yeah, I, I did like that. A couple of twists and turns I didn't see coming, and I enjoyed it on the overall. Some of the characters, like you say, a little bit two D, but overall, still a bit of fun. Bit of fun, and uh, respect its influence. So I'm going to give it a four out of five, which overall brings its average between the three of us to three out of five. So not bad. That's not, not bad. bad for. I mean, that's mm. actually that is bad for such a well-renowned book. <laughs> Yeah. Actually. Okay, well, that, that's definitely another way to look at it. <laughs> not bad. Not bad at all, mate. Yeah, it's not bad. It's very bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that does bring us to the to the end of, of the podcast. Now, Alexi, I believe, uh, as well as your fantastic podcast that is already available, are we allowed to say some exciting news that you've got a new podcast coming up soon? Yes, I've been cooking away at something that's a bit of a passion project. I am making a audio doco series about Australian cinema. Uh, it's called Sunburn Screens. The first episodes should be out probably towards the end of the month of November. Like I'm guessing my estimation is around November 23rd or so. Uh, so, you know, keep your eyes peeled for it. I'm interviewing a lot of my favorite filmmakers uh, from Australian cinema and, you know, cutting them up to be like interesting episodes about different topics in Australian film, talking to people like Rolf here, 
talking to people like Gillian Armstrong, who's been one of my favorite film heroes like my whole life. So lots of cool people like that. So it'll be Sunburn Screens. Follow me on the socials uh, at This Is Alexi. Listen to special features because it will all be out there to remind you when it comes out. Hell Absolutely yeah. love it. Very yes. excited about that. And can I plug something else crazy? Of, of course. <laughs> I'm in the Guy Sebastian music video. No. <laughs> yes, I'm in a Guy Sebastian music video for his new single called I Chose Good. And it's like a detective, 1970s detective pastiche. Oh. And I play his sidekick <laughs> in oh the video, God. his That's... bumbling sidekick. That's that so is cool. awesome. Is that out now? Can we watch it? Yeah, yet? it's out now. You guys can chuck it on as soon as we finish this conversation. I will. I'm going to. One more time. Which song is it? It's called I Chose Good by Guy Sebastian. I am so excited. Yeah, it's awesome. It's like a the a surrealist dream come true. Wow, is Guy a friend of yours? Is that how that came about? Well, now we are. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm very good at networking. I meet someone one time and they go, this guy's in my posse, my entourage for life. <laughs> Congratulations. I can't wait. I'm, I'm currently watching a, a, an ad for Google on YouTube right now. Get, wow. And then after that, you're coming up. Toot toot. Oh, Alexi Toliopoulos as Detective Winnie. Oh, I'm so excited. So excited about that. I'm excited. And uh, Michelle, what are, you've got some exciting things coming up as well, of course. Yeah, I've got a TV show coming out. Uh, Ooh, uh, yes. Next week, it's called Australian Epic. It is a comedy show on ABC. Watch it on ABC iView and watch it in your order of interest of the episodes. They're all standalone. You can watch it out of order. Um, and it's like drunk history, but musicals. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> I have been dying to watch this show, Michelle. It's fun. I can't. Yeah. I can't believe it's finally out. I'm oh, so excited to Me watch too. it. Me too. All the music is um, by Andrew Hansen from The mm-hmm. Chaser. And it's Andrew Hansen, Chris Taylor, Chaser Boys. And then me straddling both worlds and then a bunch of musical theatre actors who are all really great. Um, wow. Yeah, it's really fun. There's this episode that I watched the other night like at the launch that's really cutting. And I'm surprised that ABC wasn't like, you got you to gotta chill out on this. It's too political. But it's about like the Tampa um, yeah. it's about that stuff. And we've got the, we end in this song that's like, thank God that's all in the past. Yee-hee! And it's like, but then it's like footage <laughs> of like literally 2003 Albanese says, Nauru will stay open. It's like, oh, we're really going for them. It's really wow. like, it's wow, good. Great. It's, it's really fun. That's unreal, man. I have a friend that worked on it. And he's saying that's the best thing he's ever worked on. So I'm what? like, oh, really? can't wait. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so what nice. What a review. That's really nice. Yeah, it's it's fun. I can't even remember much of it, but I watched two episodes at the launch party and I went, oh, guys, remember this? This is good. Because <laughs> we filmed it like two years ago. That's great. When you forget something and then you come across and you're actually able to enjoy it? Yeah. Yeah, it was nice. I really liked it. I mean, the Chaser Boys, they haven't let their, they haven't lost their, their edge, you know? They're very, they're still cheeky. and They're, and they're, they're naughty. They're, they're naughty, naughty boys. Fellas. So I like it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Absolutely love it. Yeah, so that's fun. And I'm doing a UK tour, which still hasn't been announced. So sign up to my mailing list and I'll tell you when I'm coming and where I'm going. Um, yeah, go to my mailing list. Also, God, I'm posting on TikTok. Please just um, go <laughs> and reward that because I don't, I don't want to be on that application. I don't like it, and I'm putting in the effort, and I need okay. I need you to reward it really badly. You need us to encourage you? Share it. 
love it. Write a comment, say, love this. So glad you're yeah. here on TikTok. <laughs> so and never glad. leave. Never, never leave, leave. mummy. We need you. I mother. like these bite side <laughs> clips of you. I like them bite Yeah, sized. I love this. I love you with captions. <laughs> I love I, you vertical. I like it in this vertical mode. I love this portrait <laughs> mode that I'm watching it in. Yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want from you guys. That's what I need. This video <laughs> is awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hate it. Well, check check out all the all those wonderful things online. Thank you so much again, Alexia and Michelle, for joining me. Oh, wait, me. I'm doing a live show in Sydney. I forgot. Sorry. <gasps> oh, that's right. Yes, for? Sydney Average Bear for Sydney Festival at, at the Wharf, Ooh. STC. Oh, my is, God, I know. I can't believe it. They, they were just like, hey, we'll give you this much money to come and do this show. And I was like, yeah, with that like... much money, I can get a fucking string section. So I've got a wow. string section for my Holy show. Holy shit, and dude. It's, yeah, I'm so, I'm so pumped. Wow. How much money, by the way? Over 200 bucks or something like that? Something huge? Bucks. Oh my god! Is that crazy? In several years' time, that'll be a hundred and ten dollars. I know. I'm so what? excited. I'm gonna put it in the oh bank till it's hundred and ten. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> and then he, oh, then he get a seven piece string set. Wow! I know, it's wow. so exciting. Hey, when is that? It's in January. Oh, far out. Okay, yeah. can I get a comp? Yeah, babe. You can get. Yes! Comp. yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I hook you up. <laughs> I assume, I don't know, but I assume that they'll let me have some. <laughs> yeah, can I get on the door, mate? <laughs> yeah. Well, like you said, you're you're always a mover and shaker with getting in with posses, getting those you free are. tickets. Yeah, there we go. Really I'm do. in the entourage, mate. I'm not ashamed to ask. <laughs> not ashamed. No, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Great to have you on. And uh, if people want to suggest a book, you can do that at any time. There's a link in the the show notes but apart from that I'll say thank you again for joining me and as I always say at the end of this show that is books forever bye everyone yeah <laughs> hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.